We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're here to turn the page to another draft profile as we continue to go through some targets, some players at some positions of need and importance to the New York Giants. And really, the good news is, I guess, if you want to look at it like that, every position is essentially a need right now for the Giants as far as I'm concerned. I don't really think, I don't know if I can think of anything that's not. I, I can think of some positions I don't want to invest early in, like interior defensive line. Never down for that unless we get a Jeffrey Simmons, Aaron Donald type prospect who consistently rushed the passer. But mostly they've got needs everywhere. So today we're going to talk about one of those needs. It's the edge rusher position, a position where they have a little bit more talent maybe than some others, in my mind at least, with Aziz Ojolari, potentially Quince Roche being an asset for them. But at the same time, can use an alpha. And in Wink Martindale's defense, in general, you can just use as many pass rushers as you can get because there's going to be a lot of rushing the passer. There's going to be a lot of blitzing an extra guy, five men coming, six men coming, you know, occasionally more. And in addition to all of that, in Wink Martindale's new defense with the Giants, they're going to rush different guys from different alignments. And there's going to be a lot of bluffing, a lot of guys you expect to rush dropping and guys you don't expect to rush rushing the passer. And so ultimately, if you can get as many pass rushers on your defense at the same time, you have an even better chance within this Wink Martindale defense, in my mind, of succeeding. So without further ado, let's talk today about Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher out of Florida State, who may not be on their radar for the Giants at five and seven. So eventually me and Nick are going to talk about on this podcast where they could target him, how they could get him, etc. But is a player who intrigued both Nick and I when we did an evaluation on them, I think it's safe to say, but I'll get your take that we're both probably a little higher than consensus is on Jermaine Johnson. By consensus, we just simply mean like, you know, the draft boards we can look at right now from rankings online and then mock drafts and which is 
not really the NFL consensus, as we've learned through the years, as everyone should know by now. These mock drafts are pretty meaningless. NFL teams have their own boards. And, and you know, with the exception of some leaked info, you're just not getting a good idea of how they evaluate these these players. But, you know, consensus says that this guy is a late first right now. Um, and I feel like he's a little bit better than that as a prospect, Nick. What are some of your early thoughts just having had a chance to watch Jermaine Johnson on tape? And remember, just so we preface it, this is a former Georgia player who transferred out of Georgia last year, despite having a pretty good season on per snap basis with five sacks to Florida State and then really took over and thrived in more of a um, you know full-time role there. Yeah, well, initially he was a Juco guy coming from Juco, Eden right. Prairie. Yeah, out of Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, out of Eden Prairie, the same school as Carter Coughlin, giant great. And then he ended up going to Georgia. But I don't think he's a late first round even by consensus right now. I feel like the NFL, or at least evaluators, have caught up to him. And now you're seeing him mocked in the top 15, top 20, kind of at the latest. I like Jermaine Johnson's game a lot, and I didn't expect to like it as much because I watched a little bit of ACC Florida State, and I saw him flash. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy's good. But then you see, see him down at the Senior Bowl, and he has a great Senior Bowl event. You see him start to skyrocket up draft boards. So I'm starting to think, hey, this is probably one of those guys who's one of those late risers. I don't know if I'm going to really love his tape as much because it tends to happen sometimes through the draft process and the draft cycle. Goes to the combine is a great combine still arrow pointing upward. So I'm like, all right, let's get into his tape and see what this guy's actually about. And then I got into his tape and I was like, oh, he is really good. <laughs> I do really like this. The tape definitely checks out. And I'm interested to get into this draft profile piece because I honestly think this could be a difference making player at the NFL level. Yeah, he definitely is. I have like it's interesting with Johnson. I wasn't expecting to like him nearly as much as I did either because I came into it like, okay, well, we're talking about a 23-year-old prospect. And in my mind, just from watching him early on, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this, I think there is a, at least somewhat of concern for me because I'm going to get we're going to get into all the positives and there's a ton and they way outweigh the negatives here. The negative being his, his advanced age. It's not a great thing. He's 23 years old coming into the NFL at 24 playing against 18 year old at the collegiate level in the ACC. That's not a great thing. And it's over time. It's, it's gone either way. I think um, some athletes have done better translating from that, but the bigger issue for me is just a trait based one, uh, which I guess we can, we can wait on. Let's let, let's wait on that. Let's instead get to some of the things that I, that we like about him. So you can start off with the strengths and I'll get into some of the things I like as well. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson fires off the ball with incredible violence. And I feel like this is a deceptively good athlete. Not that he doesn't look good, um, just the way he kind of carries his body. But I didn't expect him to be as bursty as he was with the footwork and the lateral agility that he kind of uses at the line of scrimmage to get into that half-man relationship. I just like how he explodes off the ball low to high violent hands usually goes for that double swipe inside jab move try to get that inside shoulder to the outside shoulder of the tackle and then dip around the edge I feel like he has probably a little bit more flexibility than Kayvon Thibodeau whereas Kayvon Thibodeau is a little bit more just power based I think Jermaine Johnson actually might have a little bit more juice than Kayvon Thibodeau and I love Kayvon don't get me wrong here and I like Kayvon Thibodeau better than Jermaine Johnson but I feel like the that's an interesting part of his evaluation to kind of bring up. Love the violence in the hands, the heaviness of the hands. I think he can refine his pass rushing 
moves a little bit more. I think they're very, very violent. The timing isn't always quite there. The placement isn't always quite there, but it's there more than it isn't, in my opinion. So when it comes to Jermaine Johnson, I think he has a lot of upside as a pass rusher in the NFL. I think he needs to add a couple more moves to that repertoire, but he also showed counter moves, which I really love spins that require incredible body control and balance. And then you get into his run defense. This is somebody who sets a firm freaking edge, man. This is somebody who drops his weight, locks out, uses his extension, all 34 inches of his arm length to just lock people out. I saw clips against him and Ikemi Kwanu or Ikemi Kwanu, my bad. And dude, he's locking them out. He's not getting bullied off the ball. And that is a very difficult dude to lock out at the point of attack. So I really appreciate what he can do from a physical standpoint as a run defender setting the edge. I think he could probably clean up some mental things in terms of being a run defender. There were times where he got sucked in too far or was a little bit too wide and, and things like that. But I think all of that is correctable. Just looking at him in totality, I think this is somebody who still has a lot of upside while already having a high floor. Yeah, I can see. I can see all of that. I want to get into some of those things that you broke down. I want to start with the hands. I mean, there was a rep. I believe it was, what was the game? It was either Louisville or NC State. You might have this. And if not, it was one of those stupid ACC teams where he had a crazy rep against a right tackle where he, the right tackle tried to get his hands up to, to, to pass block. He fired his hands at him, beat his, broke his hands down and left the right tackle completely off balance. And he gets immediately with his next step to the quarterback for a force fact, uh, fumble sack. Do you know the rep I'm talking about by any chance? Yeah, that was, well, the one against Louisville wasn't a forced fumble sack. It was just a sack. I wasn't sure if that's the one you're talking about. But it was the one be- where he batted the right tackle's hands down right upon arrival. And just left him off balance before getting the strip sack. It was within the it was the craziness about it was he, he went from like in a split second, like it felt like under a second. It went from he slant, he broke the right tackle's hands, left him off balance, took the next step, was at the quarterback, and then hit the and then hit the quarterback. I thought it was I think, a that, was, I think that was against Miami. It was against Miami. That's the that's the rep I'm talking about. The one against Miami, correct. If I look through my notes real quick, that might have been the third and fifteen play. Yeah. They were backed up in their own end. It was yep, first backed up in their own end. Yep. Yeah. I'm looking at my notes. That was one of the best reps I thought I saw recently from watching any of these edge rushers. It was just an incredibly dominant rep. And as you said, Nick, he does a really good job of using his hands with violence. What I really like about him is that he does a great job of using his leverage. We often talked about how Dalvin Thompson was so low to the ground and that helped him in run defense. Well, this is a guy who I think is the best. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Kayvon Thibodeau, who I thought was really excellent in this regard as well. But I think that Jermaine Johnson may be the best edge setter in this class. And that's despite being such a lengthy athlete, he does a really good job of using his leverage to be a positive in the run game and to really help him out. He makes a lot of tackles for losses on his film. And like you said, he does a really good job setting the edge. The tape against Icky Iguano, that's big stuff because we're talking about somebody who might be drafted number one overall in Icky or somebody who's widely believed to be a elite tackle. And he's doing a really good job there in the run game. And so, there's a lot I like about him as a prospect. I, I kind of agree with you. There's a high floor there, but also a high ceiling. But there are some concerns I have that that kind of, for me at least, Nick, that I want to get into that somewhat question that I that somewhat make me at least question um, his ceiling. I will say, and even in some ways his floor, like at the next level. So let's let's start there. We like his hand usage. I like his bend for for his size and his strength. I feel like to me watching him, sometimes there was a lot of like, 
Gregory Rousseau type sacks on his film. And he, in some ways, he kind of reminds me a little bit of watch of when I watch Rousseau. They're different athletes, but they're both lengthy guys. Um, in, in the sense that some of them were kind of like, I don't want to say cleanup sacks, but not not like the explosive off the step stacks. Not not all of these. Some of them he'll he'll get around the edge, he'll beat the right tackle with his hands, or you know, just with that bend and he'll and he'll get to the quarterback. But I feel like some of these sacks to me, Nick, were build up sacks where he has a lot of build ups. He he has more build up speed than than in my mind at least than explosion and burst off the snap. I'm curious if you see that as well, because I thought in your intro you kind of said the opposite. No, I don't see that. I, I think Notre Dame sack was one of those where he kind of spun inside and the quarterback stepped up into Jack Cohn stepped up into the pocket and it was kind of like that. But this is somebody who has a ton of power. This is somebody who can convert speed to power. This to me is is not a Gregory Rousseau type of prospect. No, all. no, no. I don't think he's a Gregory Rousseau type prospect. Just in the build, I, I saw some of that. But I'm more so saying, again, I think he has power. I think he does a good job of what you just said, converting speed to power. I just felt like as far as first step goes and explosiveness, to me, I, I see a build-up speed player that I think in some ways that limits him at the next, could limit him at the next level. I'm standing. I, I think it's interesting uh, that you say that too, because there is something that I did see and something that always set up his outside pass rush move. And I, and I brought it up a little bit before. I think he is an explosive player. There, I'm not doubting that. But there, he does use a hard inside jab foot a lot of the times to try to stun that tackle in order to win that edge. Even when he's kind of rushing wide nine, it's like a little, just I'm going to throw my inside foot really, really hard. And that's going to, you know, shift the tackles weight a little bit inward. And that's going to allow me to explode off that inside foot, which I feel like he does a really good job of to get to the half man relationship and try to bend around the edge. Now, I maybe that's where you're going with, with what you're talking about. And I did see that, but I don't necessarily like think, and I don't even know if you think this as well, that he is deficient in burst and explosiveness. I don't think he's deficient by any means. I also, but I, but I am standing by it. I don't think he's an elite, an elite athlete from that standpoint at all. I think there's a little, to me, not a little bit. There's a difference watching uh, the first step of Kayvon Thibodeau and watching the first step of Jermaine Johnson for me, at least. And even, even in some ways, like watching uh, Trayvon Walker kind of, and, and he, there's obviously less there, but because he hasn't, it hasn't been used as much. So there's fewer reps you can evaluate him from, yeah. but I don't know. I just feel like for, for Johnson, I don't see it as much maybe as you do. Yeah, no, I, I think Jermaine Johnson is plenty explosive. I, I'm not, I don't think he's the most explosive. I think there's some smaller pass rushers like Boye Mafe and Arnold Debichetti who are, who are very quick twitch and explosive. But for somebody who is 254 pounds, six foot five with this length and the raw power that he packs in his lower half and his upper body, this guy has plenty of explosiveness for me. Uh, relatively speaking, I'm fine with it as well. And I, again, I, I, I will prioritize the other traits. So I'm, so like, I like the fact that he has that power. I like the fact that he uses his leverage. Well, I like the fact that he has moves and he uses his hands. Well, again, the positives definitely outweigh it for me, but I do see, to me, I see an athlete with more build up speed than actual burst. I, I, it is what it is. I'm just going to, I'll stay with it just because it's just, and it's just what I see. It's not, it doesn't mean it's right at all. You're a much more trained eye for this, Nick, but I'll just say just just what I see from him. And I, I think it's interesting also from a testing standpoint, the kind of athlete he was, because he had a four, five, eight, 40, which is amazing for his size, obviously six foot five, two fifty four, and a crazy good broad jump, which would um which would uh signify signify potential explosion, but his 
vertical jump was 32 inches. So I just felt like that was weird too. Just looking at the combine stuff right now, as I'm kind of going through some of my notes, did you, did you have any thoughts on like why he was able to test well from the broad jump, but not the vertical jump standpoint? Bro, I had no idea. I was really shocked when I saw that he jumped 32 inches. And that also goes with his 10 yard split. That was 97th. Right. 155 at that weight, which is insane as well. But yeah, I, I, there's nothing on his tape that like jumped out like, oh man, this guy's not going to be able to stand straight and just jump and not be able to jump high within like the 50 to 60th percentile. And his 32 inch vert was 36th percentile for edge rushers, which is not ideal. I'm not going to hold it against him to, to, to a large degree, but it was something that I was like, oh man, that's a little odd. I expected him to be a little bit more explosive in that area. And on the flip side of that, though, just to talk about the good, because, again, I want to make it clear. The build-up speed thing that I'm talking about is, like, essentially the only knock I have on this player. This is a player I think is incredibly long, incredibly powerful, and has does an incredible job playing with his leverage. And then, most importantly, which I'm about to say, is what you talked about. How he tested in that three cone, and you see it on his film. He has really, really good agility and bend for an athlete that's six foot five, 254. And that to me is what has me most excited about his, his ceiling. That's why when I think about the floor and the ceiling, I do in some ways, my only worry again is just like, will that work at the NFL level? I see a guy who could sometimes get taken out of plays by the tackles, but for the most part, with all that he has in his arsenal already and the potential for him kind of being that next level athlete from an agility bend standpoint, like you talk about the three cone, it was unbelievable, but you see it on the tape too. He can move, he can bend, and he does a good job of using it both as a pass rusher and a run defender. And I think that's where I really feel like the ceiling comes into play. It's his bend for his size and kind of his agility for his size. And he's, he doesn't have elite bend either. Like there are bendier. Well, yeah, players. no, at six foot yeah, five, yeah. 254, he, he won't, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's sufficient, though. It's a functional amount of bend. Like, he can bend through contact, too. And I feel like he uses his hands, leverages his hands well enough to really get his hips angled in towards yes. the quarterback and, and kind of win that half-man relationship that we always tell. And then at that point, it's just on him to kind of dip that inside shoulder and then just bend through whatever contact the tackle is putting on him. And I felt like he did a solid job overall doing that. I mean, there are some things to be concerned about with Jermaine Johnson's game, or maybe not concerned about, but things that he could work on. I mentioned before how, you know, in terms of being a run defender, I don't feel like it was always clean where, where he positioned himself. I feel like he can do it. He has all the physical attributes to be a really, really good run defender, but there were times similar to Kayvon Thibodeau where he would shade a little bit too far inside towards the B gap as the contained defender, and then it would allow him to be bounced outside. There were a couple plays like that. I can go through my notes here in a little bit and, and see if I could pull some other ones up and he only had one real year of production at right. Florida state, which I think you can probably excuse that because he was at Georgia with all of those guys at Georgia, not really one player had elite production from a production standpoint there because everybody was feasting, but it's something that you want to at least consider when you're going over his entire evaluation. I want to get to both of those things. So let's start with the first thing, which is, um, his move moving on from Georgia to Florida state after being a Juco, he had production at Georgia. He had like five sacks and a lot of pressures and limited snaps. Some people knock him for moving over to the ACC and kind of feasting on those poor ACC tackles. And that really is the best way to describe the tackle play in the ACC. In my opinion, it's really poor. It's very below average. Um, you know, they're, I can't think of too many tackles that have come out really recent years in the ACC that have been impressive with the exception of Mackay Becton. Um, and you know, 
Iquanu, yeah. And Iquanu now, but even in past years, it's been even drier up. And so I feel like obviously you can you can make that case like, oh, he feasted against ACC. He had 14 sacks against bad competition. But if you watch him against Iguano, he, he, he performs pretty well with, you know, when when he has to step up against tough competition and top competition that he might face the NFL level. So I don't know. I don't feel like that's as big a knock for me, but I'm curious about that. And I also want to get your take on the knock that he's old an older prospect, because that one to me is a little more concerning. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The older prospect thing, I understand why people would be concerned by that. But, I mean, shit, we're the New York Giants right now. <laughs> we're, we're not even signing our guys to second contracts for how long at this point. So, like, I'm not going to read too far into that. I think if he's your guy, you would draft that guy. It's just another part of the evaluation, and it would be a part that would be a negative because there are guys in this draft who play the same position as he, and they're, what, two years younger? And I think that's important to at least note. I think it's definitely something you have to consider. Yeah, more so for me, it's less like the age as you enter the NFL. It's more like how much of his production is because of his age at the collegiate level. That's the more concerning thing to me um, when you're that, you know, when you're 24 years old or 23 years old and you're going up against 18 year olds you're and 19 year olds, you're way more developed as a human being um, just from an athletic standpoint, from a size standpoint, from a strength standpoint. Um, and so that's, probably more so what it is for me but i just don't know if i i still think he has a he wins in so many different ways that he that it's not as concerning for me um and i think he has enough of those traits like next level traits that it's not as concerning for me but it's definitely something i'm curious about one thing i, I was curious about that's kind of less so film related but just something i saw watching him and watching florida state 
it felt to me like he was the alpha of that defense, Nick. There were on every single play that teammates rallied around him, the plays that he made. Um, and he was kind of the center of attention on a lot of the plays, even when he wasn't as as involved with. I felt like he did a really good job of being both, you know, impact player in the run game and impact player in the pass game, which is kind of how you evolve into that alpha role on that defense. I like that for the next level. I feel like that that those are typically the guys that I guess take that next step, the ones who are the best at their on their team, the best on their side of the ball. Did you kind of get the feel that he was kind of the alpha of that defense? Yeah, they loved him, man. And this is somebody who transferred in. Like he's the first player in ACC history to be the defensive conference, the conference defensive player of the year. Right. This first year in the ACC. I mean, a lot of those guys are typically, you know, freshmen, so they're more than likely not going to do that. But then even the transfers, and he stepped in first year in the ACC and dominated. Obviously, the level of competition isn't quite to the SEC level, but I don't think it was just that. I think his utilization in Florida State's defense was probably the best way to utilize him instead of the, in the Georgia defense, which is much more of a collective approach where they're slanting him sometimes. He dropped in the coverage more when he was at Georgia. His quote-unquote coverage snaps at Florida State were really just him being the read defender and the quarterback throwing the RPO. He wasn't really in coverage, which is another knock that I have on him. I don't really think he's going to be somebody you want to drop to the field a lot of the times. He can drop to the boundary. He's fluid enough to do that, but it's definitely not something that is a, you know, oh, this guy can definitely execute this assignment for us. He wasn't really asked to do it all that often, even when he was at Georgia, because there was such a deep rotation. But you saw him drop to the boundary several times when he was at Georgia. Yeah, exactly. That's something that I, I'm a little bit less concerned with in the Wink Martindale defense anyway, as far as translating to the Giants goes. But yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on as well. I feel like this is the question for, for me when it comes to Jermaine Johnston. Is he somebody who would consider for the Giants at number seven overall? Or is he someone you wouldn't consider unless they traded back? to them? Because I don't think there's any chance at this point that he makes it to 36. At first, there might have been because, again, like there were early on concerns about the age, about transferring out of Georgia, lack of production, quote unquote, even though I don't think that was the case. Um, but now it's kind of like the like you said the end. It seems like teams have. It seems like the consensus is caught up a bit on him, and we both believe he is a top player in this class potentially. Do you feel like he would be a fine player for the Giants to take at seven overall? I think he should be in consideration. I don't think it's wild to to look at his game and say, you know what, no, we we can't consider this guy. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is better than he is. I would rather have Kayvon Thibodeau. But I don't think it's a huge difference between the two players. I think that Jermaine Johnson offers certain things that, that are probably a little bit better than, than Kayvon. But overall, I like Thibodeau's translation to the NFL and to Wink Martindale's system. Jermaine, I think he could play in Wink Martindale's system. But again, we know Wink Martindale likes to drop a lot of his edge rushers. And that's something that's not necessarily overly prevalent in his tape it's something that i don't want to say is a projection because you see him move around at the senior bowl and at the combine and he looks fluid but it's something that he wasn't asked to do all that often so that's just one less thing or one more thing that you're just a little bit prognosticating about and hoping that he can translate if that's how wink martindale wants to utilize his skill set but he has the length he has the size he has the power he has the pass rushing upside and he has the ability to 
really set the edge and really kind of be a dominant run defender once he cleans up some of the mental aspects of it. So all of those things lead me to say this is somebody who could be worth a top 10 pick if he can fit into the locker room. Look, I think as a football player, he showed mental processing and football IQ and all of that. But this is also somebody who had to go the Juco route because he had terrible grades in school. And I hate to bring that up, but it's also something that I feel like you have to address just to see why that was and like what were the circumstances that led to that and to just kind of see how the kid is. If he did struggle that much when he was in high school, it doesn't mean that he's struggling in college, but it's definitely something to look into No. I think it's something to look into from the processing standpoint. Like you talk about him reaching his ceiling a lot will be, especially as a run defender, it will be from a mental processing standpoint. But I did, I will say I did hear an interview with him at, uh, at the combine from CBS sports on HQ. I thought he came off really well in that interview. I thought he came off like a leader and I thought he sounded very, uh, you know, he sounded like he knew, he knew what he, what his plan was, who he wanted to be at the next level and how high he thought his ceiling could be. And so I like all that as far as if I would take him at seven overall, I'm a bit torn just because I don't love the fit in Wink Martindale's defense. To me, Jermaine Johnson is a, is more of an old-school Giants fit. I liked him more when we had the Perry Fuel system, the systems of the past with even fronts often, and he could have been kind of that stand, you know, that classic Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck edge that can sometimes kick inside to the three-tech on passing downs type of thing. And I think that any defense can use him, so it's, I'm not saying if he gets drafted, it will be a bad thing. Because Wink Martindale, he'll find a way to use him. All good coordinators can find a way to use good players. And he's not like a bad fit for Wink Martindale's system, but I do feel like if I'm going to think of the two things that concern me, at least from a trade standpoint, the one that we disagree with, which is the buildup, I feel like there's some buildup speed for him. The other is just his, he's, I think, think he is a little stiff as an athlete. And that's not necessarily his fault. As, as far as like the hips go, I feel like he's a little stiff in the hips. That's not his fault. He's six foot five, 255 pounds. He's a long athlete. But Kayvon Thibodeau is also six foot five or a little under. I think he's like six foot four in that same range of weight. And when I watch those two players from an athleticism standpoint, like when I watch Kayvon Thibodeau flip his hips and drop into coverage, I feel like I'm watching a little bit of a different level athlete than I am when it comes to Johnson. I think that's fair, too. I don't think that's an unreasonable take. And another thing that Johnson might have going for him over Kayvon, and I want to get your take on this, I feel like Johnson is a little bit better with how to employ his pass rushing repertoire. Definitely. A little bit more to it. You know, because Kayvon is predicated on power, and I'm not, and Johnson definitely has a lot of power too. And I think Kayvon's hands are heavy, but the way Johnson like uses violence with his strikes and when those strikes actually land, he just absolutely takes advantage of these one-on-one matchups. He had a sack against Boston College. It was a second and seven. This is BC. So the offensive lineman, you know, you have Zion Johnson and you have Lindstrom, but that's not who he was going against on this play but he explodes up the edge and then right when he makes contact with his inside hand the tackle goes to make contact with the outside hand just well timed and when it's well timed it's beautiful just swats that outside arm right down what happens to the tackle when that happens his momentum just goes forward and then johnson just bends the edge and just crashes the pocket forces the quarterback to step up and then he gets sacked i don't think johnson got a sack on this play but he might as well have the only reason the quarterback stepped up into the pocket was because johnson was bearing down on him and i felt like some of the sacks that Florida State had that weren't credited to Johnson were really just yeah. really pure assists by Johnson. A hundred percent. I felt the same way with that. Um, and I think you mentioned it. What he what he does best, at least from what I've seen from all the edge rushers I've watched so far, is his usage of his hands, the snatch pull technique, like just the ability to get 
to get them off balance, get those tackles off balance with his hand. And then the other thing is, which I noticed he, he a lot um, when watching Johnson is, like you said, when he when he when he bends the edge, he does a really good job of then eating up ground and not wasting any movement and getting that direct line right to the quarterback. And I don't see that watching every tackle. I think some guys have not necessarily wasted movement, but are a little slower to close to, to close after you know beating the tackle or after making that move to beat the tackle. Did you feel like watching Johnson? He did a really good job closing in. Yeah, I did. And I think it, he was doing it through contact. He was doing it after yeah. separating. He has good closing burst, which is something that I really like about him as well. That short area quickness to, to not allow quarterbacks to evade him. There was a play that now that you mentioned it against UNC, and it was like a second and long where he exploded up the pass rushing arc and just hit the tackle with this long arm move and just backed right up into Sam Howell. And again, this forced Sam Howell to step up into the pocket where another Florida State guy got a sack. Jermaine Johnson gets a pressure there. He probably gets a hurry, but he doesn't get the sack. But that yeah. only happened, again, because of Jermaine Johnson and just the, the raw power of, of, of him just backing this dude up into Sam Howell. It's great. And, and it's something that we talked about a little bit with Kayvon Thibodeau. And we mentioned it a lot through this podcast. Jermaine Johnson has these power rush moves. He can be a power rush end who can run through your face. But he also has finesse moves and he has enough bend and enough quickness to win the edge. And that's going to put tackles in a bind when you keep flashing power, keep flashing power, keep flashing power. Then you hit him with a hard inside jab foot and go around his edge and that tackle's feet get stuck in the mud. And then he's put into this disadvantageous situation where Johnson has enough bend to get around him and then get the sack. I, I love these kind of edge rushers who possess both of those qualities. Kayvon Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson have both of them. Yeah, I think you're right. And while I don't agree, I totally feel like he's the perfect fit for this defense. He just has so much going for him that I do feel like he is a player who I would be on board with taking at number seven overall. Where do you finally kind of fall in on that? Are you good at seven overall if Johnson is the pick? I think I'm okay. I think I'll go, okay. It also depends on who else is is around. Because I'm looking, and I haven't gotten to Sauce's tape yet, but if Sauce is the guy that a lot of people are building him up to be. I love him, yeah. <laughs> exactly, you know, like, and then I'm like, and I don't want to be rigid. You know, you know we're, we're not rigid on this podcast. We're very fluid with, with our thoughts and, and we'll change our opinions and all that. But I, I would like a right tackle at Sauce if Sauce is the guy that everybody's claiming. But at the same time, I also like these edge rushers. I love Kayvon. I love the, the potential of Kayvon Thibodeau being a New York Giant. So I think if Jermaine Johnson was the pick at seven, I would probably be like, okay, it's a good football player. I wouldn't be mad about it. Would I be ecstatic? No, I don't think so. And I do agree. I don't know if his best fit is in Wink Martindale's system. I think he may be better in that even front uh, defensive end. That doesn't necessarily mean he can't be that outside linebacker in a 3-4 or you know in an odd defense, however you really want to term it. I think he can be, but I don't know if that is his ideal fit. I do believe he is scheme specific. It's just one fit maybe better than the other. And that doesn't necessarily mean that if he lands in the odd front, that he's not going to still be a good football player. And just to clarify, when Nick or I is talking about even and odd fronts, what we're really referring to is at least what you would traditionally know it as, though it's not really, in my opinion, important in any in today's NFL anymore. Because team, you know, the whole four three versus three four thing, it just is not a thing anymore in the NFL. Because most teams are just in 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 sub packages for so 70, 75% of their snaps, maybe more. But when we say even fronts, we mean kind of the giants of yesteryear teams where you had four defensive linemen um, consistently on the field. The Steve, think the Steve Spagnolo defense, even the Perry Fuel defense and defense before that. We're talking about odd fronts. We're kind of referring to what we've had recently with James Betcher, 
Um, and then obviously with with Patrick Graham, those defenses, which is kind of a, a, a totally different look for the most part with three down linemen, um, even though the yeah. Patrick Graham version of that odd front is also different than some other teams. Like I think Wink Martindale's defense is going to look a little a, a good amount different in the front seven than than uh, Graham's did. Yeah, I mean, one way to also look at odd fronts, usually they have a nose tackle. There's a guy directly over the center. Then you either have two four eyes, a three technique and a four eye. You can have two five techniques. If you want to employ, you know, an eagle front, an oaky front, whatever you want to do. But that's a good way to look at it. In Florida State, they ran a lot of three, three, five type of defenses where there were times where Jermaine Johnson did have his hand in the dirt. But mostly he was in a two point stance rushing as like a typical three, four outside linebacker would, if you want to kind of term, uh, term it that way. So I think he can do it. He yeah. showed that he was able to do it in college, but I also think this is somebody who could put his hand in the dirt, set the edge, not be a liability and also just pin his ears back and come from a three point or a well, two point or maybe even a four point stance. Yeah, for sure. And so we've talked about the potential of the giants taking him at seven. I want to ask you about this. There are some people who have Jermaine Johnson in this draft over Kayvon Thibodeau as a prospect. Um, that's not me, but there are some people who would. I think, who am I looking at? Daniel Jeremiah, for example, has Jermaine Johnson as a be- as a higher-ranked prospect for him than Thibodeau. Where do you stand on Johnson versus Thibodeau as prospects? So I'm pulling up my rankings right now. I, I liked Kayvon Thibodeau better, but it wasn't glaring. I, I think Kayvon Thibodeau has a very, very high ceiling. I think Jermaine Johnson also has a high ceiling. I don't think the conversation is as ridiculous as some may speculate, because I think some some aspects of playing football, Jermaine Johnson has over Kayvon Thibodeau, and then the same with Kayvon Thibodeau over Jermaine Johnson. But I didn't see the Kayvon Thibodeau that a lot of other people are claiming exists, the, the one who doesn't try. Daniel Jeremiah being one of those evaluators who claims to have seen that. He has more access to film than, than we do. So that might ding Kayvon Thibodeau in terms of what uh, how he evaluates him. But for right. me, I didn't see that. And when I watch both of these players, I really like the ability of Kayvon Thibodeau to execute basically anything Wig Martindale is going to ask him to do. Whereas I have a little bit of reservation about Jermaine Johnson dropping into coverage and being a coverage type of player. I think Thibodeau is going to be able to do that. So I just think Thibodeau is more versatile. And I still think he can learn a lot more with his hands. Yes. I think he has the mindset. And I know he gets criticized for his work ethic, but I think he has that kind of work ethic that he's going to work on it when he gets to the NFL because there are so many people doubting him. Now, I could be wrong there. I definitely could be. But there's still a lot of meat on the bone in terms of Kayvon Thibodeau and his ability to learn. And I think once that gets accessed, if that gets accessed with NFL coaching, you're talking about somebody who I think the sky is the limit for. Jermaine Johnson, I think he can refine things, but I think he's already has a more progressed usage of his hands than a Kayvon Thibodeau. So maybe there's not as much meat on the bone if that makes sense i think it makes total sense and i think even just for me it's like i have Thibodeau over over him and for me it's like yeah the testing is one thing you can look at all these numbers the 40 yard dash the three cone whatever that's other testing without in shorts and shells off the field when you're just watching these guys on tape to me Thibodeau is the considerably better athlete overall and this that's despite them having similar length like he, he may be a little a tick a tick less long than than Johnson is, but they're similar size from a weight standpoint, similar length. And I just feel like 
in my mind, when I watch them, they're different level athletes, both when it comes to Thibodeau's ability to flip his hips and drop in coverage. If he, if, if Wink and Martindale wants to do that. And again, remember it's a, it's a very amoeba like defense. We're going to see with the giants. We're going to see a ton of those amoeba looks where there's a bunch of guys in the line of scrimmage and they're trying to confuse the offense. And, and some guys are going to drop that. You're not expecting some guys are going to rush the passer. So it is a skill set that in my mind could be very valuable for the giants to have these these edge linebackers who can do both, who can play both ways, moving backwards or moving forwards. But it's also just the burst off of it's that first step get off. And I don't think that it's that, that Johnson's is bad by any means. I feel like I might've said that earlier. And I do think that again, he has some version of ability, but it's not like he has a bad get off, get off off the line of scrimmage. I just think it's a different level when it comes to Thibodeau and when it comes to um, Tra- Trayvon Walker, these are two people who I think are different level athletes than Jermaine Johnson and younger prospects. So I don't know. To me, I just feel like there's a little bit, like you said, more meat on the bone. And projection is big for me when it comes to these prospects. I'm really looking to draft players who are going to be their best at the next level, not what we've seen so far. Not, And I'm not saying Johnson is that, by the way. No, yeah, and, I, and I get that. And I honestly, like, I think Jermaine Johnson is a is a good athlete. Like, I, I don't have too many concerns other than the, the, the natural feel for dropping into coverage. Like, I think you and I, we differ on the the quickness and the explosiveness off the snap, which is fine. That's one thing I love about evaluating tape. And the, people are going to disagree. It doesn't mean one person is right and the other is wrong. It, it shouldn't be looked at that way. You get two coaches in a room and you have them go over film. They can argue so much. Like, like that's yeah. that's just, that's kind of how you learn. And you see other people's perspectives and everything like that. But Jermaine, bro, this is somebody that, like, again, I think the conversation is much closer than than I originally anticipated, specifically yeah. when I was going into the film. I don't think it's a, a ridiculous take by Daniel Jeremiah, specifically if you did see Kayvon Thibodeau kind of dog it and stuff like that, then it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But I, I, um, I look at Jermaine Johnson, and I think if he were the pick at seven, I'd be like, okay, that's, you know, we got a good football player. I don't think giant fans should be like, Oh, what the heck are we doing? You know, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's like that. And another thing about Jermaine too, and I'm sure you saw this on his film because it's hard not to see this dude will run across the field. This dude plays with his hair on fire, man. I did a breakdown on big blue views, YouTube. If you guys want to go check it out, drop maybe about two weeks ago. It's about 15, 20 minutes on Jermaine Johnson film, all the film that I could collect. And you'll see how this dude is running across the field and he'll make a mistake, bro. And this is something else I love. He'll make a mistake. He won't execute his run fit as well or his run responsibility, I should say. And he'll be like, oh crap. And then you will see him chug all the way from the opposite side of the field and then deliver like the hardest hit on this poor running back who's trying to juke some small corner. <laughs> the guy had gets completely ear holed. He didn't even see it coming. And I loved it. I love that part of his game as well. Yeah, I think that's a really underrated part of his game as well. The draw, the effort on on these plays. He, and I saw that you know a lot of people. Don't, there's been the concerns we talked about with Thibodeau, but I did see Thibodeau with the same type of stuff, doing the same kind of things. So I want to give him credit for that too. Really, but you're right. Johnson is deserves credit for that. I honestly feel like for me at seven overall, I won't be mad regardless of who's on the board or if they trade back a couple spots. Let's say if they get any of these three edge rushers when it comes to Walker, Thibodeau. And Johnson. Now, some people are going to put Karloftis in that. I understand nah, that. The Karloftis thing, I need to get to his tape, but if yeah. they took him at seven, from what I understand about him, and maybe it's a little unfair that I'm saying this right now, but a really short armed pass rusher who doesn't have a lot of bend and is more power based, who thrived in the Big Ten, I, I just, that doesn't Ooh, set too That well. almost gives me AJ Epinesa vibes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's coming through as a player to some extent. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I think FNS is fine. But I've actually heard people compare those two prospects. And I got to get to his film, so I have to be completely transparent with that. But at seven, that's that's really – like I I think I'm, I'm – and I shouldn't go into film like this, but I think I'm going to like Jermaine Johnson more than Carl Loftus. And if Carl Loftus' film proves me wrong, I will flip that switch like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't watched him much yet either, but I, that's – you know, that's those are not the prospects I'm ever going to be in, into. As long as we're doing this podcast, I'm not – those are not my kind of guys, the kind of guys who win with power at the at the Big Ten level. That's just it's just it, it, power and technique, things like that don't have that next level athleticism. I just don't see that ultimately translating to anything that, again, that could translate to a decent player who's like an OK starter for you. But I don't know. And, and a rotational guy. But I, if you're taking in the top talking in the top seven and I'm not saying this is what Karloff says, we haven't watched him, but it's just, you know, I'm looking for something a little bit more. Yeah, same here. Uh, definitely. And I had and another. If that's the case. And let's say we feel that way after watching him. Would you be okay if you think there, you know, if you stand by that and you think there is a little bit of a drop off there after those three, would you be okay then with that in mind, taking one of those three? Because there are, like you said, some examples of players who could be there at 36 who are intriguing as well. Like it's not a, I'm not saying this is going to happen because a lot of people like him, but I think there's at least a non-zero chance. And this goes for any of these guys ranked in that or like you see getting mocked in that 25-ish on range. Because again, this is just a mock and they could drop. There's a chance Boy Mafe could be there. And I haven't watched him, but a lot of people like him that I've talked to. The guy that I like who I've watched, and I know he's going to be more of a situational guy, but I still like his game is Benito from Oklahoma. I really like watching him. I mean, that edge bend that he has and that burst off the line of scrimmage, that's the type of shit that could win you. Win you. Sorry, excuse my language. That's the type of stuff that can win you right away at the next level in my mind on third downs and passing down. And this guy's less of a kind of toolsy projection guy, but watching uh, the kid who transferred from Temple from uh, Penn State, because I watched him a ton during the season. A lot of my Penn State friends were like, this is our- Man, I have no idea who you're talking about. Please say his name. Yeah, I, 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 I knew that I was hoping you would say it, so I didn't have to, but Abiketite, Abiketite. No, it's just Arnold Abiketti. Abiketti, that's easy. Now I got that for good. Abiketti. And watching him, because just from watching Penn State and talking to some of my Penn State friends, they were like, yeah, this is our defense, this dude. So there's going to be interesting guys, I think, available at 36 as well with Benito, Abakite, and uh, potentially Mafe. So where do, you where do you feel on that regarding, like, do you want the Giants? I feel like we're in a position right now where I want the Giants to probably go edge with one of those three picks, considering how many BPAs there could be, just with all those guys mentioned. Would you rather them pass on a guy like Johnson if, let's say, Hutchinson and um, Thibodeau are off the board and Walker's off the board? Let's say Walker's there at seven and Johnson. Would you rather them wait to try to get one of those guys I just mentioned at 36 and then take a sauce gardener? Or would you feel like you can take one of those guys, those edges at seven? It's a deep edge class. And I'm just going to go off what on the top end, I feel like. Yeah. I'm just going to go off with Wink Mar. Even even down the board, there's still depth. Like some of the guys that you listed, who might I don't think Mafe will be available at that at that time. But I think Epiketti has a chance to be available. Uh, Nick Benito, I got to watch his film. Uh, Majai Sanders, Tyreek Smith, guys like that. But going off what Martindale has said in the past, and what does make sense after studying his defense's tape, it doesn't it just make sense to go Sauce Gardner at seven if they're not going to trade back. And he's still available, which I'm not 100% certain if he will be available, if he's this guy that everybody is claiming. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it does make a lot of sense. I mean, you can make the case that you could potentially get a player like Booth in round two, but ultimately, I feel like the ed- the combination of Gardner and one of those edges you just mentioned, that I think at least one will be there. Maybe not Mafe, but at least one of the other two. Ultimately, I feel like that's a better combo to me, just because those corners, even Booth, if Booth's there now that he's injured, he might be there. But I have some reservations even about him you know, holding up at the next level uh, from a man coverage standpoint, especially against some of the speedier receivers. And after that, it's like a lot of the guys we like in that range in the defensive back position at 36 are more of the safety types or the slot role types, slot, even slot coverage type guys. And so if, as far as getting that like outside man guy who can hold up on an island like Gardner, there are very few and far between in this class, in my mind at least, um, especially that of, among those who will be available after the Giants pick at seven on day two and day three. So, yeah, I kind of feel like you're onto something there. I guess it just makes sense. And, like, you always try to, like, go into these these drafts with the idea, like, all right, well, what's going to make the most damn sense for the New York Giants right now? And we've heard the defensive coordinator make that statement. You know that they want to go right tackle after they – just the last decade of them not having a right tackle. They haven't had a freaking right tackle since Kareem McKenzie. That is worth a damn. And they've invested so much – in free agency, what little money they had into the interior offensive line, which suggests, okay, we're going to target our right tackle in the draft. We're going to get one of three guys that we like. And I think they probably like all three. I think they like Charles Cross. It does make sense for them to like Charles Cross, despite the fact that people will say, oh, he's the third best tackle. The Giants can't go with him. I can see them doing that. And I can easily see them going cornerback. And I think the unique player that you brought up, I don't know if they're going to do this, but it makes sense if you follow the Brandon Bean logic is Trayvon Walker, man. And I've watched Trayvon Walker's tape. We'll do one of these on Trayvon Walker. And he doesn't have the type of flash plays that Jermaine Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau has. He's a much different player and he's a big projection. But he's six foot five, 272 pounds with 84 and one-fourth inch wingspan and over 35-inch arms. Both of those are in the 95th percentile. Not to mention his hands are almost 11 inches. People are going to look at that and be like, bro, like, come on. Like we we have to look at this guy, right? A one six two ten yard split, bro. That's in the seventieth percentile at two hundred seventy two pounds for an edge rusher. Like those are incredible athletic numbers, and you watch him test. Like coaches are gonna drool over that. But we've seen coaches get in trouble in the past when they look at just those things and don't actually look at the tape. And I don't think Walker's tape is bad, but it 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 doesn't it doesn't maximize what he can be as a prospect. But one thing you can see is that he's still freaking really raw. So it's a lot of projection there. And are you comfortable drafting him in the top 10? I think somebody will be, but are the Giants going to be comfortable doing that? They might be because, like you said, the bean chain uh, tree, uh, bean chain history shows that they have been comfortable. They they took a projection in Gregory Rousseau, at least in my mind, that was a projection. And it's not like the first projection they've taken. Jermaine Tremaine Edwins was a, was a projection as well. Different position, obviously. We're not talking about the same position. But – also a projection in my mind. And so I don't really think that they're opposed to that. I feel like that's something they're probably interested in. And again, being Shane, they come from that Gettleman tree where length is super important for the tackles and for the edge guys uh, and for the pass rushers. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely possible within the realm of possibility. They have Walker rated above maybe even Thibodeau. And, and, and I would say if I had to guess right now, they probably have him above Jermaine Johnson. Remember when Joe Shane and all those giant contingencies went down to Georgia's pro day, obviously there's a ton of Georgia prospects that you want to look at. 
that's clear. But everyone's like, oh, they're going down there for James Cook. Oh, they're talking to James Cook. I'm like, could be talking to a lot of people. It's not just James Cook. Drayvon Walker being one of them. And I'm looking at his mock draft board right now, dude. I didn't realize. I knew his three cone was good. I didn't realize it was a six, eight, nine. Yeah. That's not insane. Percentile, bro. For 272 pounds, that is that is just that's unique stuff right there. Remember Joe Tryon last year? Yes. Yes. I liked Joe Tryon a lot. And I felt like I was kind of on an island a little bit. Like I think we brought somebody on the podcast and he was crapping all over Joe Tryon. And I was like, I don't really I think it was Ledyard, wasn't a huge Tryon guy. No, no, no. It wasn't no, Ledyard. It wasn't Ledyard. Who was it? Was somebody he wasn't huge. He was somebody you found. Like he's not like huge in, in the in the draft sphere. I, I can't remember okay. his name. But uh, I liked his tape, and it was kind of weird because, you know, he didn't play in 2020, so you had a lot of project- projection there, but you looked at his just athletic ability, and you're like, oh, dude, this guy's long, this guy's athletic, he can be an impact player, and he was a huge impact player, but he was raw. Trayvon Walker is six foot five. He's about 20 pounds more, and he's much more athletic from a testing standpoint, and when you watch both of their power on tape, Walker had so much more power than I think Joe Tryon had in college, so like... People are going to look at that, man, and be like, yo, Tryon worked out down in Tampa. Like, this is a kid that, like, has a lot more upside than even someone like a Joe Tryon who was drafted at the back end of round one. Walker's probably going to go in the top 10. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And so that'll be an interesting player I want to talk about as well, which we'll get to eventually and ultimately. All right. Anything else on Jermaine Johnson? I think we're wrapping up here with very few concerns from Nick, very few concerns from me, maybe a little bit more from me just on something I saw that Nick may have not seen, but that's all good. And ultimately, a player who we'd be pretty okay with taking at number seven or old, but is probably not our top target. Yeah, I can read my from Giants Country Sports Illustrated, my little like overall section about him. It's a quick bottom line. Yeah, bottom line. So it goes overall. Bottom line. Mm hmm. Jermaine Johnson II is a violent two-way defender who sets a firm edge and plays with good leverage length at the point of attack as a run defender, while providing defenses with plenty of pass rushing moves, juice, and an ability to convert speed to power to to superior power, and an insatiable nature to separate from blocks and annihilate the quarterback. Johnson possesses heavy hands and violence when rushing the passer while employing a secondary counter move to break the grasp of offensive linemen. He also does well to reduce the surface area of his chest when he rushes, not providing offensive line a clean shot to latch. He is flexible, doesn't have a leap bend, and he could be a bit more disciplined as a run defender, but that's coachable. Johnson has the ability to be a difference-making edge at the NFL level, and he should be a top 15 selection. There we go. There you had it from Nick. All right. That's all we have on today's show. Stay tuned. It's draft season. We plan to do a lot more of these. We're going to talk about a player who I really like next uh, for the Giants on day three, if he makes it there. So keep it locked and loaded. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.